Hey guys, it's NK, back with another episode. I am so happy that I'm now trying to get more into like a weekly schedule with releasing my episodes instead of like every few weeks, every like every two months. So we're fixing the schedule. We're holding ourselves accountable. I'm going to try to release a weekly episode, if not maybe even two weekly episodes, but we're going to start with just one. See how I do. If I stay consistent, I'll add another episode and then hopefully, you know, we'll go from there. But today on the podcast, I want to talk about um, the pathophysiology of deep vein thrombosis. This is a typical thing that we look for, especially in the hospital, when patients are hospitalized because they are at an increased risk of developing a deep vein thrombosis due to the immobility. They don't move around as much. You're not at home. You're confined to a bed, mostly in a room. Um, We do encourage patients to ambulate if they are able to, but it's not as much walking as they would get at home because at home you'd get up, you'd go to the living room, you'd go to another room, you'd go outside for a walk, you go, you know, like you have activities that you engage in at home that you do not at the hospital because depending on what you're in for you're pretty much just in bed being monitored by the uh, nursing staff physicians um, you know the care team so I'll be talking about D-vein thrombosis because it is an important topic that we do keep at the back of our mind at the I guess at the workplace but also you don't have to work in acute care to um, have a knowledge of deep vein thrombosis. You can work out in the community. You can work out in the clinic. So it's just a really good um, thing to know about, be aware of. You can educate your patients about it, especially if they have increased risk for it. So the main causes of the deep vein thrombosis, they refer it to as the Virchow triad. I might be pronouncing the Virchow part incorrectly, but Pardon my pronunciation, English is my second language. So the three components that they have, I guess, theorized as the um, patho of a deep vein thrombosis is one, you have a change in blood flow. So the patient is immobile, there's stasis, so there's not much movement happening, especially in the lower legs. If you're sitting for long extended periods of time, For example, you're on a flight that's like 8 to 12 hours. That is a change in blood flow. The second thing is you have a vascular endothelial injury. So these components have to be present for a deep vein thrombosis to develop. And then the third thing that has to be present is you have an alteration in blood coagulation. So this could be you are susceptible to blood clots or you have hypercoagulability. So females that do get pregnant are at higher risk of um, hypercoagulability. So they are more at risk for clots. And I'll talk more about the potential causes of a deep vein thrombosis or a clot. And so an injury in the epithelial lining causes platelets to aggravate together. This leads to a clot formation when all of the three factors meet together, makes it a perfect environment for that clot to start developing. And then this initiates an inflammatory process that then can lead to fibrosis. So sometimes the fibrosis is it could break off from wherever it formed the clot because the body will try to like trap it. 
and so it will break off and then it travels to other parts of the body so the enlarging clot may partially or completely block the vessel or if it gets dislodged it dislodges and travels to other sites in the body mainly the main area that it gets stuck in at first is usually the lungs and then also can happen in the vessels of the heart itself and then the brain so those are major red flag areas that um you can look for for side effects of potential clot if somebody has signs of a D-vein thrombosis or they are known to have a D-vein thrombosis. And so the risk factors could be inherited thrombophilia. You could have a malignancy in the body that can make it more likely that you're going to develop clots. And you could have a central or a venous catheter, so an IV. There's potential that it could dislodge a clot clot could form in that vessel because you're puncturing the blood vessel and you're injuring it and that could start to um, create an environment for a clot to develop. Also surgery is another major risk of clot formation, trauma, if they have any fractures, any severe injury to the body makes it more likely to um, cause a clot as a side effect. Pregnancy as I mentioned if someone is on oral contraceptives, that just makes the blood more, I guess you could say not viscous, but more likely to stick together and then form a clot. And then if someone is on hormone replacement therapy, they're at higher risk for developing clots. Chemotherapy drugs also can put someone at risk for developing clots. And of course, um, immobilization, so they're not moving. They're staying still for long periods, extended periods of time. Heart failure or lung disease is also another potential cause. Polycythemia, this is where you're, the person is producing just excessive, excessive, excessive red blood cells. Now there's too many of them and they're more likely to clump together and form clots instead of just having the normal red blood cell counts. Their bodies, for some reason, is overproducing them and they're kind of just like more likely to stick together because they're just clogging up their clouding everywhere and there's too many of them more than the body's normally used to so of course they will stick together if someone has polythysemia that is a high risk for them and then also uh, hemoglobinuria so I believe low globin hold on let me look this up for you before I butcher the definition for you before uh, I don't want to put you in the wrong direction hemoglobinuria okay so so I can get you the proper definition hemoglobinuria is the presence of hemoglobin in the urine it is associated with red to amber clouded um, transparent urine that remains pigmented after centrifuge okay so if somebody is having bleeding into their urine, which is the urinary system, that puts them more at risk for clots. Um, also, inflammatory bowel disease, because of the inflammation, could put them at higher risk of uh, clots. Nephrotic syndrome could put them more at uh, more at risk for clots. Obesity, smoking, family history of a uh, venous thrombosis. And then, of course, age. If they're over the age of 60, they are at higher risk for it. And then prolonged periods of sitting, which be which would 
be included in the immobilization and stasis. Dehydration, of course, is a risk. And then complications from having a clot form in the body is you can get a pulmonary embolism. You can get uh, recurrent DVT formation from that. And then also when you're going into the assessments for someone who potentially could have a DVT, you're um, gathering information. So you're making sure they don't have, um, you're making sure if they have any of the risk factors, more or one of them, you're keeping a close eye on them. So if they've had surgery, trauma, they're on oral contraceptives, those are things that you want to look at when you're looking at their history. And then you're also examining their legs and arms for pain, swelling, tenderness, and then any signs of a pulmonary embolism, of course, shortness of breath, chest pain, and respiratory distress. Those might alert you to potential clot in the lungs that might have originated somewhere else. So the physical findings, you want to make sure you don't you have a absence of the symptoms of a DVT. You want to make sure that they like if you're palpating the area, if it looks tender, looks red, looks swollen, you're palpating it. And then you want to make sure that both calves, it's mainly high risk in the lower legs for a DVT. You're wanting to have a look at the circumference of both calves. They're equal. There is no unilateral edema. And then making sure there's um, no warmth, no tenderness, no pain. And then also you're looking for any potential, of course, tenderness and pain in the calf area. So you're palpating. Make sure there's no firmness and that the patient isn't having any discomfort in the legs. And then things that they can order would be a D-dimer. They could look for coagulation studies. They can do an ultrasound of the limb. They could also do a chest x-ray if the patient is having tachycardia or chest pain. That might be an indication to rule out uh, pulmonary embolism. And then treatments for confirmed confirmed DVT, what is speaking. So treatments for confirmed deep vein thrombosis is you want to elevate the affected extremity. You want to rest it and then you want to increase oral hydration if their oral intake is poor. You're wanting to reduce their sodium intake if there is edema at the site or any edema in the lower legs or wherever it's affected or has the uh, deep vein thrombosis. And then also you're going to be administering anticoagulants. You're going to be, if they're going to be, if they're prescribed uh, heparin for a long period of time because of their risk for recurring DVTs then you're wanting to make sure that they're getting supplements for vitamin D and calcium because these will be affected over time by the use of heparin. And then also another treatment they can do is catheter-directed thrombolysis or open thrombectomy in selected patients um, with the DVT that they need to remove. Um, they can use a vena cava filter that could catch any potential dislodgement from the DVT site, and then also if anticoagulants aren't working to reduce that clot size, those are the, um, I guess you could say, the more invasive procedures that they can do to remove a DVT or prevent the clot from dislodging anywhere where it might cause more damage to the body. And so for nursing, other nursing interventions, you're going to administer anticoagulants as 
ordered. You're going to measure the girth of the affected extremity and compare it to the non-affected limb to measure any progression. You're watching for thrombocytopenia if they are on heparin. Heparin-induced thrombocytopenia, that is a side effect that you need to look out for. So you're looking for any excessive bleeding, any bruising, any signs of bleeding anywhere. So it could be nosebleed, could be their gums are bleeding. So any signs of uh, bleeding as a side effect of anticoagulants. And then you're also monitoring for pulmonary embolism. So watching out for any sudden shortness of breath, any tachycardia, any chest pain, any restlessness. And then the affected leg, you're looking for color, temperature, size. You're making sure the pulses are normal, monitoring for any pain, and then making sure the sensation and then the, there's no any um, nerve pain or anything like that. That might be a side effect of the swelling that's happening in that area. And then treat the patient's pain as needed. So uh, side, side note, clinical plural, pearls. I cannot speak. Clinical pearls that you might want to keep in mind is when if a patient is ordered heparin, do not rub the injection site for low molecular heparin. And then also for low molecular weight heparin, do not give it through IV or IM, just subcutaneously only. And so those are my tad bits about deep vein thrombosis. So I hope you guys have a good rest of your morning, good rest of your evening, and a good rest of your day. Thank you so much for tuning in for another episode. Bye now.